I'm Father Ron Shibley, founder and director of the Anglican Internet Church, and I welcome you to Episode 3 in the revised edition of the AIC Christian Education video series, The Nicene Creed. The revised series includes many new illustrations and enhanced cross-references to other AIC resources in video, podcast, and print form available through links on our website. In this episode, my focus is on the final phrase of the Nicene Creed's description of the Father and of all things visible and invisible. The music used in the opening and closing titles is Reginald Heber's Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, written in 1827 A.D., based on Revelation 4, verses 6 to 11, 5, 13, 15, 2 to 4, and Isaiah 6, 1 to 3. It is performed on the organ in England by Richard Irwin to the tune Nicaea, composed by John B. Dykes, in 1861 A.D. I encourage viewers to visit Richard's dedicated webpage, https colon right slash right slash play dot without words dot com. And I thank Richard for granting permission for its use. The Creed continues with, and of all things, visible and invisible. The statement combined with the previous phrases means that God made the world and all that is in it, things above the earth and things below the earth, things in the sea, the celestial bodies, and finally mankind, all of which can be seen, but he also made things which we cannot see, things which St. Paul called invisible in Colossians 1, verse 16. The illustration is the six-winged cherubim, an illumination in tempera and gold on parchment, from the 11th century Revelation manuscript, the Bamberg Apocalypse, as it was used in the AIC bookstore publication, Revelation, an Idealist Interpretation. The book is available using the virtual bookstore link at www.anglicaninternetchurch.net and in video form in the Bible study video series of the same name, which is linked from the Bible study New Testament page. Some Protestant denominations have eliminated the phrase visible and invisible from their version of the Nicene Creed. Others, such as the Episcopal Church in its 1979 Book of Common Prayer, substituted seen and unseen. The problem is that the two phrases do not have quite the same meaning. For example, the burglar who broke into your house last night while you were asleep was unseen but only because you were not awake or present to see him. That which is referred to by St. Paul and in the Nicene Creed as invisible cannot be seen no matter how hard you try. Both these changes, the omission and the substitution, arise out of the modern conceit 
that there can be nothing that a rational man or woman cannot see and understand. The illustration for this and the next slide is the Annunciation to Mary, a circa 1275 A.D., Illumination in Tempera and Gold on Parchment, attributed to the master of the Braunschweig-Magdeburg School, Vienna, Austria, from the collection of the Austrian National Library, Vienna, Austria. The image was reproduced in 10,000 Masterworks, a DVD produced by the York Project. So what are these invisible creations? made by God according to St. Paul and referred to in the Nicene Creed. The Hebrew title of God, discussed in an earlier episode, Adonai Sabaoth, gives a clue. The Hebrews called God Adonai Sabaoth, or Lord God of Hosts, or in some modern translations such as the ESV, Lord God of hosts, for example, in 1 Kings 19, 10, and 14, when they meant his role as the ruler of the invisible hosts of heaven. The NKJV text uses a shorter title, Lord of hosts. The same concept is spoken of in Anglican and other worship traditions in the 4th century canticle, the Te Deum Laudamus. To thee, all angels, cry aloud, the heavens and all the powers therein. To thee, cherubim and seraphim, continually do cry, Holy, 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 Lord God of Sabaoth. The name angel comes from the Greek word angelos, meaning messenger, They appear in both the Old and New Testament as messengers of God. The angel of the Lord appears to Abraham in Genesis 16.7 and 18.23. The illustration is a mid-17th century oil on canvas by Rembrandt depicting three angels visiting Abraham based upon Genesis 18, verses 2 and 3. For a more detailed and extended discussion of angels, see the episode Ninth Day of Christmas in the AIC On Demand video series The Twelve Days of Christmas, available using the links on the digital library page, www.anglicaninternetchurch.net, The early church fathers, especially in the Eastern Church, but also in the early Western Church at Rome, believed there were nine orders or ranks of angels among the heavenly hosts. The first and second rank is angels and archangels. St. Peter, in 1 Peter 2, verse 12, concerning things into which angels desire to look, St. Paul, writing about the second coming in 1 Thessalonians 4.16, observed that Jesus will come again, sounding with the voice of an archangel. 
The Anglican Holy Eucharist liturgy refers to angels and archangels and all the company of heaven. The illustration is a recently discovered mosaic of an angel uncovered during the restoration of the Church of the Nativity in Bethlehem, an 11th century crusader-era church built on the foundations of a 4th century church built by the Emperor Constantine. The Associated Press photo was taken by Nasser Nasser and was recently made public by the BBC, National Geographic, and several Roman Catholic Internet-based media. In the Gospel of St. Matthew, angels descend upon Christ and, quote, minister to his needs after his temptation by Satan in Matthew 4, verse 11. And they strengthen him in the garden at Gethsemane on Monday, Thursday. The illustration is a fourth-quarter 19th-century stained-glass window based upon Luke, chapter 22, verse 43. Perhaps to indicate their elevated importance, several angels are identified by name in Scripture. Gabriel is twice called an archangel, the first when he carried the message of the coming birth of John the Baptist to Zacharias in Luke 1, verse 19, and the second in the Annunciation to the Blessed Virgin in Luke 1, 26. Gabriel is also identified by name in Daniel 8.16 and 9.21. The illustration is a late 19th century fresco of St. Gabriel in the Russian Orthodox tradition at Kiev, Ukraine. The angelic annunciation by Gabriel to Zacharias is discussed and illustrated in Chapter 1 of the AIC Bookstore publication, The Gospel of Luke, annotated and illustrated, available through the virtual bookstore link at www.anglicaninternetchurch.net. Also identified by name in Scripture is the archangel Michael who leads the angels loyal to God during the revolt in heaven in Revelation 12:7, and who is mentioned in Jude 9 concerning a dispute with Satan over the body of Moses, and also in Daniel 10, verses 13 and 21, and Daniel 12, verse 1. Two other archangels mentioned in Deuterocanonical Scripture, or the Old Testament Apocrypha, are Raphael, who comes to the aid of Tobit in Tobit 3.17, 5.4.8 and 10-13 and 12.15, and Uriel, who is mentioned in 2 Esdras 4, verse 1, and in Enoch 9.1, 19.1, and 20.24, Enoch is a book recognized as second canon scripture in several Eastern Church jurisdictions. The illustration, the archangel Michael, is the central detail from a circa 1000 AD manuscript, the Menologion of Basil II. The figures at Michael's feet are the slain angels of Satan. The original of the illustration comes from the Vatican Library, Rome, Italy.
The third and fourth rank or order of angels is cherubim and seraphim. In Genesis 3.24, God places cherubim at the gate to the garden to prevent Adam and Eve from re-entering after their banishment. In Psalm 18, verse 11, the psalmist wrote that, quote, He rode upon the cherubim and did fly. Cherubim guarded the Ark of the Covenant, described twice in the book of Psalms, Thou that sittest upon the cherubim, in Psalm 80, verse 1, and, quote, sittest between the cherubim, in Psalm 99, verse 1. The details of their many wings and the gold with which they were coated is described in detail in Second Chronicles three ten to fourteen, the Old Testament account of the temple built by King Solomon. The illustration is a two thousand nine A.D. photograph of a drawing of a many-winged cherub in Jacques Paul Minya's Patrologica Cursus Completus the Latin series published in 1886 A.D. Of their companions in the third and fourth rank, the seraphim, the only glimpse in Scripture is the prophet Isaiah's vision of the throne of God in Isaiah 6, 1-4. In the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim. Each one had six wings, with two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory." And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. The illustration is a six-winged seraphim in the central dome at the Hagia Sophia, built in the 6th century at Constantinople, now Istanbul, Turkey. The remaining five ranks are fifth and sixth thrones, which is called might in the NKJV text, and dominions, followed by seventh and eighth powers and principalities, and finally the ninth authorities. The illustration is a 19th century statue of the guardian angel at the Madeleine Church in Paris. These last five ranks should be considered together in the context of St. Paul's letter to the Ephesians concerning, quote, spiritual warfare in heaven. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. That's Ephesians 6 verses 10 through 12. 
The illustration for this sequence is the unfinished tempera and gold on panel icon of Paul made at Zvenigorod, Russia, circa 1407 to 1410 AD by the renowned Russian iconographer Andrei Rubelyov. The blue background coloration is a trick of the photographer's light. The gold grounding shows through only just above St. Paul's head. Other scriptural support for these names, as well as for the concept of things that are both visible and those which are invisible, come from St. Paul, who wrote in Colossians 1.16, For by him all things were created that were in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. In many modern interpretations, thrones or dominions and principalities or powers are said to refer to earthly governments. In their scriptural context, especially in Ephesians six ten to 12 quoted a moment ago earlier in this episode, it is clear that St. Paul intended these words to refer to the spiritual forces of heaven and not any institution of man. In the Eastern Church tradition of Christian spirituality, all these together are called the powers of heaven. In the AIC bookstore publication, Christian Spirituality, an Anglican Perspective, I offer examples of apostolic wisdom from the writings of two pair of saints, Peter and Paul, James and Jude, on pages 87 to 99, which conclude part four titled, Put Not Your Trust in Princes, from Psalm 99.1. Books are available through the virtual bookstore link at the bottom of the homepage at www.anglicaninternetchurch.net. These quotations raise another question, based upon both Old Testament and New Testament precedents. Are there other powers in heaven that are not loyal to God? In the early church, the belief was widespread that Satan, also called the devil, is an invisible creation of the Lord and one of the fallen angels, which, as noted earlier, St. Paul referred to as the spiritual host of wickedness in the heavenly place in Ephesians 6.12. The illustration is The Temptation of Christ, an oil on canvas by Russian artist Vasily Surikov, painted in 1872 A.D., depicting the first temptation, Satan's challenge to Jesus to turn a stone into bread to satisfy his hunger. The Temptations of Christ are discussed and illustrated in Chapter 4 in the AIC bookstore publication, The Gospel of Luke, Annotated and illustrated, available through the virtual bookstore link at www.anglicaninternetchurch.net. The word Satan comes from Hebrew ha-satan, meaning the adversary. The name Satan is used as a personal name of the devil 18 times in the King James Version of the Old Testament and 36 times in the King James Version of the New Testament. The earliest clear reference to Satan by name is found in the book of Job. 
In Job 1, 6, the sons of God are gathered in his presence and Satan comes among them. Satan, from where do you come? The Lord asks. Satan answers, from going to and fro in the earth and from walking up and down in it. In the ensuing discussions, God gives Satan permission to tempt Job but not to harm his person. In Job 1, verse 12, in Zechariah 3, verses 1 and 2, God rebukes Satan for exceeding his authority. In the New Testament, the word from which we get devil comes from two Greek sources, diabolos, from which we get our modern word diabolical, and ton peneros, meaning evil or the evil one. In the Greek New Testament, the personal name of the devil, Satan, is spelled without the hyphen that it has in Hebrew. For more, see Episode 2 in the AIC Christian Education video series, The Lord's Prayer, using the digital library link at the bottom of the homepage at www.anglicaninternetchurch.net. Matthew, Mark, and Luke tell us in the Gospels that the devil tempted Jesus himself. But for mankind, the concept of Satan or the devil as tempter is best illustrated in St. Peter's warning in 1 Peter 5, verse 8. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. For more on Satan, see the Satan entry on pages 198 to 202 in Layman's Lexicon, a handbook of scriptural, theological, and liturgical terms available using the virtual bookstore link on the homepage at www.anglicaninternetchurch.net. Other AIC resources mentioned in this episode can be accessed on demand 24-7 from our website, www.anglicaninternetchurch.net. You can watch this and other videos in the Bible study, Christian education, and seasonal video categories from either the Bible study page or the digital library page. If you prefer, you can listen to podcast versions of all our videos using links on the podcast archive page and podcast homilies based upon readings in the 1928 Book of Common Prayer from the links on the podcast homilies page. Or you can acquire and read any AIC bookstore publication using the virtual bookstore link at the bottom of the homepage, www.anglicaninternetchurch.net. The link takes you to my Amazon Author Central page, where nearly all our books are available either in paperback or Kindle editions. The dedicated direct link is https colon slash slash www.amazon.com right slash author right slash Ronald hyphen E hyphen Shibley. All the words after dot com must be in lowercase only. Please be assured that 100% of all book royalties are contributed to the AIC. 
Thank you for joining me for Episode 3 and the Nicene Creed. Next time in Episode 4, I begin the first of two episodes offering phrase-by-phrase discussion of the Nicene Creed's many references to the Lord Jesus Christ. Until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make His face to shine upon you and be merciful to you. May the Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. Glory be to God for all things. Amen. This program has been a presentation of the Anglican Internet Church. We invite you to visit our website and use its resources at www.anglicaninternetchurch.net.